Hello, thanks for tuning in to the North Lakes podcast. I'm Jeremy Oswald, and I'm excited to be kicking off the third season. On this episode, we'll all be speaking with occupational therapist Angie Shepik about emotional regulation. It was recorded at our office base in Ashland, Wisconsin, where we were just digging out from another snowstorm, something that has been happening a lot this winter. Here we go. Today on the North Lakes podcast, I'm with uh, occupational therapist Angie Shepik, and we're going to be talking about emotional regulation which uh, the, it's the ability to exert control over one's own emotional state. Um, it can also be pausing to collect your thoughts before you respond. Angie, are those good kind of places to start about what this are, is? I think those are great. Um, thanks for doing this. How are you today? I'm good. Yeah. Got, got plowed out of the driveway. So that was exciting after all the big snow. It, so. It's kind of like it's a lot right now. <laughs> It's a lot. Yes. Yeah. It's a tunnel leading to my house right now. So yeah. Um, Um, the, uh, do you have friends with plows? Yep. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I I love like, they're like, Oh man, I, these guys, these people, (laughs) I'm so happy about them right now. I agree. Yes. (laughs) Um, you, you know, this is the second time you've been on the podcast, but for those who didn't hear, uh, you know, your episode before, why don't you tell us uh, who you are, what you do, and uh, maybe just a little bit about yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. So as you indicated, I'm an occupational therapist, and I work only with pediatric population um, that ranges from birth to um, teenage years currently. Um, And I've been with North Lakes for of uh, 13 years, I think it is now. Um, and yeah, my specialties, my areas of interest um, really fall in with sensory integration, um, picky eating, uh, problem feeders, which was the last time that we talked, that was our topic, um, sound therapies or auditory programs, and also working with individuals who have um, experienced trauma. Um, And the emotional regulation that we're talking about today fits in with all of those um, areas of interest or some of those areas of interest are strategies we use to be able to work on emotional regulation. Yeah. And what... um why do we need to regulate our emotions? Why is this a good thing to talk about? Why, why is this going to be a good podcast? What, what makes emotional regulation relative and important? It's important because it is what we need to do to be able to be our best selves, to be able to be as efficient and as effective in our day-to-day operations. Um, if we're not regulated, we will be consuming a lot of extra energy or using a lot of extra resources to be able to get done our day-to-day tasks that that would go much faster if we were in a more regulated state. I think about it as I will often call it the optimal state or the just right zone. So if we're in the just right zone, we can do our tasks again more easily and 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 be better at them. Whether that means having a conversation, doing academics, um, doing our self cares, anything that we do in our day. 
and what um so some of us some people have they they can't do it they have a problem with it and so they come to you sure what like well, how does that begin when when should a parent or someone be like this is out of my hands i need help yeah yeah so let me start by saying we all have challenges with this at some point in time i just this this morning <laughs> <laughs> sure for yes. me i don't know you, yeah yeah, so. yeah exactly mm-hmm. right so so we all experience this um and it it becomes a a thing that you want to address or to seek out help if that continues to be a pattern, an ongoing pattern and a pattern that, that really significantly is disrupting that day to day operation. So if it is lasting, that um, challenge with emotional regulation, regulation is lasting for hours. It's happening every day, right? You're seeing these patterns that the individual just isn't able to, to get through and move through. Um, that's, that's when seeking out some additional support is good. So this morning when I couldn't figure out how to link my camera to my phone and I was getting ready to lose it, I don't necessarily need to come see you. Not that I'm a child, but (laughs) I don't need help. I just like I was able to get through it. But there are people that like that, that would have thrown off the whole day and they need they could use some help. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. Either thrown off their whole day or it it becomes something where they start to avoid those types of activities because they they right have that memory that they just can't move move through that um and so if that starts to happen as well seeing avoidance of you know particular activities particular places particular people that 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 could be a a kind of a um sign as well and to narrow it down to um, kids who you see, do you call them kids, children? It depends on the age. I suppose, right? An adolescent mm-hmm. and a teenager does not want to be called a kid. No. Uh-uh. Yes. Yes. So sometimes they're kids, children. Sometimes they're adolescents. Sometimes they're our patient. Um, it, it really depends. So your age demographic. Yes. <laughs> um how how is that different than an adult grown person such as myself mm-hmm. what what makes it different with the that age group that you work with sure um so if it does i don't mean to just yeah. i shouldn't assume that maybe it doesn't so I, I i think so but maybe not go ahead it 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 does and i was even thinking that right we're going to work with um, infants and toddlers different than a uh, five, six, seven year old, different from uh, adolescent, different from a teenager, right? And teenager might be a little bit closer to work that would be done with an adult, but maybe, maybe not. Um, so I would say the difference between working with a pediatric population and an adult population is that adults do have more um, cognitive development. And so there's just more uh, problem solving and reasoning that has developed for them, right? Just due to age. And, and so that makes a difference and that can allow 
um, just different solutions for helping with emotional regulation to be able to be tapped into. Maybe that can also, you know, be similar to the teenage years, but maybe not all depending upon where that individual is at developmentally. Um, With really little ones, we need to rely more on the caregivers, the parents, the guardians, the other individuals that are around doing caregiving. And that actually leads to co-regulation. So using someone else to be able to help with that emotional regulation of, of that patient, of that individual. Oh, I, I have to imagine, especially with the real little ones, a parent's got to be a huge part of this. Huge part of it. Yes. Yeah. And even for some that come to see us, they're still needing to be a part of it into right the years that you would not expect it into, you know, early elementary age. And so that that, again, is an indicator if if your child is relying on you to help them with their emotional regulation when they're in elementary school, that there probably could be some. Um, benefiting in doing some therapy. Mm-hmm. And how does that, so do generally, will a parent be in with the session with you? Do you take them on their own or how, how does that work? Both. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really depends upon uh, the individual's needs, their age, and also that dynamic between child and parent. So sometimes that the, the d- dynamic is challenging. And so we maybe want to work with the patient just on their own for a while and then and help them build some of their own foundational skills and then bring the parents in and start to work on that. Sometimes because that co-regulation, that reliance on that parent is so strong that we will we, we have to have the parents there, right? Because the child won't be able to enter the space and participate without the parent. Um, and, and we just kind of do that dance, you know, back and forth. Um, certainly we want what the patients are working on in the clinic to carry over to home, to the community, to, to the school environment. And so it is important to have the parent there participating to some amount so that way they can see what we're doing and um, be able to carry it over. And um, well, I mean, that makes sense. And like, you know, like uh, I can't as much as I would like to pigeonhole every person. You sure. can't you just because like it's going to be different for everybody. It's always the answer is always, well, it depends, <laughs> right? Yeah, it yeah. depends. Mm-hmm. How old are they? Again, what are their needs? Because, right, this therapy isn't a one size fits all. Mm. It It is very individualized. And even if we think that we're headed down one one track, right, something comes up in that individual's life or that family's world. And all of a sudden we're like headed down another track because that's just what needs to be addressed right now. Um, we, we can't just let emotional regulation not be worked on if that's the thing that, you know, presents itself, um, that hits the top of the priority list. Got it. I have I have so many questions, but is there anywhere you want to kind of continue this before I like take us somewhere else? Nope, you're doing great. OK, oh, I, <laughs> I, I like I, I'm very selfish that with this podcast because I love learning more about what 
my coworkers do. So, yeah. okay. Um, so one here, here's one, here's one track I'll go down. Um, is it always anger? I mean, I think that's the, like the, you know, most obvious one, maybe it's not to you. I'm sure it's all obvious to you, but to me, you know, you're out and somewhere and you see a kid just freaking out, having a tantrum. And, you know, like that seems like the most obvious, um, way it presents itself. Yeah. Are there other ways? Definitely. But you're right that, that, that big outburst, that right anger, that meltdown, that tantrum, whatever you want to call it is the obvious, right? It is, it is out there. Hard to miss. It's hard to miss. (laughs) Exactly. Um, and this is something that, that we'll, we'll see in the, um, in the schools commonly as well is that, Right. Those individuals who are bigger and louder with their responses are are noticed more easily than the individuals who will withdraw and will shut down. And so withdrawing and shutting down is also a challenge with emotional regulation. If if right, the event, the expectations, the environment is too much, then sometimes it's safer for individuals to just withdraw. Yep. Just, just stay in their own, in their own space, in their own world. Um, Something we'll see is that individuals who rely heavily on screens and video games is they will frequently go into their video game world. And they spend a lot of time there. And and that's also a sign that, right, they can't, um, they, they're not able to tolerate and handle what's happening in the real world around them. And so in order to write a coping strategy for that is to just revert to what they know. And this, this is a safe spot for me. I'm going here, mm-hmm. checking out. I'll yep. be fine here. I'll be fine here. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Even if nobody else knows what I'm talking about or what I'm doing, I know what I'm doing and what I'm talking about. And so I'm safe. And I, I will just say, um, like because of my conversation with Ben Britton yeah. about video game addiction, yeah, I will say like, Let's not give video games a bad name. <laughs> Just giving him that like a little shout out that it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yes. It, but what it what might be um, detrimental to somebody is if that they rely on that instead of engaging with other people in the world around them. Exactly. If their only strategy is to revert into that world, that is right. A sign that that. um that they could probably use again some services to be able to expand their toolbox to be able to expand their options that they have. Okay, so how do you do it then? Sounds like what you're going to try to do. I love that. I think like I'm on some kind of equal to you. <laughs> like <laughs> like so here I'm going to guess that you, you're just looking for ways to teach um, this population your patients different ways to manage their emotions. And how do you do it? Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes, that uh-huh. is right. Okay. Um, so we are always as occupational therapists who have specialized in sensory integration or sensory processing. Like that is, that is the foundation and the starting place for us for, um, assessment, for looking at what, what 
where's an area that we can help improve. And so our, our emotional regulation is there, there's a cognitive component, right? A like, I know that I'm feeling frustrated because I can't link my camera to my, whatever it was this morning for uh, you. Oh my God. <laughs> right. But not, not good. Yeah. It, you were able at some point to tap in to the idea that, whoa, this isn't going well. I'm starting to get frustrated. And so you did something and right. Whether you took a break or it fixed itself or you asked for help. And so there's, there's that level, but before we can even get to that level of like conscious choosing, you know, to take a break or to do something, we just have to start to notice our signals in our body are changing. And we have to notice that they're starting to feel uncomfortable and that they're connected to an emotion, right? Anger, frustration, anxious. Failure. Yes. Yes. Right. And, and then we can then start to work towards that cognitive right awareness of I have options here and what are the options that are going to be able to help me. So we're, we're helping with that sensory awareness of those different signals. Um, and sometimes it is also just the sensory systems aren't doing their job. Our auditory system, our hearing system is easily overwhelmed. And so then we also as therapists need to use our interventions and tools to be able to help that individual with that. Um, but one of the main things is working on that awareness and that's called interoception, interoceptive awareness. Um, and so that's, that's a really big piece to that emotional regulation. To, to recognize it. Like, okay, I know I'm getting frustrated because this thing isn't working. Yeah. Okay. I can feel it happening. Right. I need to change. Something's got to change or I'm going to, yeah, yeah, I need to deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. My muscles are starting to get tight. I've, my hands are fisted. I can tell my jaw is getting tight. I can tell my face is getting hot. Right. These are the things that happen in my body before I right blow. And so before I blow, I'm going to try to catch myself and, um, you know, try to try to change that. Because if I, if I have a tantrum here at work, right. As, as an adult, like my coworkers are going to look at me and go, huh, what is going on with Jeremy? Right. (laughs) So we might want to stop before we get to that. Yeah. Well, Third time's a charm. <laughs> sure. Or just keep trying. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's where, like, I think right at the beginning you said it's like, why is it important? Because throwing a tantrum at work is not good or in or at school or, well, maybe by yourself. When is a tantrum OK? I don't know. Is it? I mean, like, what if I would have lost it and nobody noticed? Like, sure. I, maybe it would have, like. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I think I think I I would suspect that most adults have those moments. (laughs) Right. Um, But again, you're probably aware of like there's no one else around me. Or I think most adults can can remember a time when they thought no one was around. Right. And they had a tantrum and then they were like, oh, somebody is in the building. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I'll say like, I've probably had them and I never felt good afterward. I was like, that was, what did I do that? Come on. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
And that same thing happens to the population we work with, right? They have them usually out of their control because they they have just become so overwhelmed, right? They weren't able to notice it or catch it ahead of time or know what to do. And they do often feel uncomfortable afterwards. They feel remorse for what they've done. They, if you ask them, why did that happen? They sometimes don't know. And they will say, I don't know. And I think it's really important for adults in their lives to recognize that those those answers are probably true and honest. It's not like they're trying to lie their way out of it. It's not like they destroyed the room because they really wanted to, but that they really it it really happened in sort of a reflexive pattern just uh like right there they just blew and this is the result of it. Fight or flight kind of like that's fight. That's fight. Uh-huh. It is definitely fight or flight. It is all about survival. When you end up out of the just right zone and you get too far out of the just right zone, whether it's towards shutdown, right, withdrawing, or it's towards that explosion, you eventually are hitting the points when when the brain, when the nervous system starts to say, I am in danger. I'm getting close to danger and I need to protect myself. And that's when fight or flight happens Mm -hmm. or freeze. That's that's the shutdown. Yeah. Just I can't deal with this. Yes. So. So how do you I um, I can I can't imagine like the patients come in in the middle of a tantrum like, oh, great, this is happening now. We can deal with it. How are you, you know, um. Right. I mean, like, I'm sure it must happen. But yeah. what if a patient walks in and they're, you know, they're fun. They're re- they're regulated. How do you like uh, how do you help them then? Or, or, yeah. Or, or just in general. I mean, that that's one scenario, like more broadly. Like, so what can you do? Like, you, like, what are some of the text techniques you use? Don't try them at home. Well, maybe you can. Um <laughs> But how do you, how are you able to help? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Sometimes it takes a long time for us to see that that challenge with regulation actually happen in the clinic. Um, and sometimes it's happening right from the get go. Everyone is different. Right. Um, when we it depends, it depends. Yeah. Exactly. It all depends. Mm-hmm. Um, when 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 we don't see it, it is a little bit harder, right? Because we are trained to observe from a clinical lens and that really helps us know how what direction to take and 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 really how to support this patient. And so when it does happen in the clinic, we actually kind of all celebrate a little bit because because we had an opportunity to really witness it and observe and see what's going on. Um, Some parents feel really embarrassed and ashamed when it happens and apologize profusely. And we, we just remind them that this is why they're here and it is okay. And it is really good for us to see what's happening. And it provides a in the moment opportunity to work on some tools and strategies Um, but things, things that we'll do. So, right. Things to not try at home without the direction of a trained therapist. Um, but common, common interventions we will use is things like the Wilbarger Therapressure Protocol. A lot of people kind of know that as the brushing program. Um, again, should be trained by 
someone who is, you know, trained in it. Um, but that can be a really helpful tool, um, supportive for those. Sometimes we'll do. What is that? I don't, I oh, don't yeah. I have no idea what you just said. Great. Yes. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Right. Um, so it is if your tactile or your touch sensory system is easily overwhelmed by sensory input. So teeth brushing is hard. Hair brushing is hard. Clothes are sensitive. Textures of food are hard. That intervention can be one that can really be supportive and helpful. Um, If the auditory or the hearing sensory system is one of the main culprits for this individual, we'll rely heavily on auditory or sound therapy programs that are designed, modified, modified the music in a certain way, designed to be able to support different challenges with that system. So we'll rely on some of those um, interventions that we can train the family on and the family can use at home and carry over. Kind of teaching the brain, like, see here, here's this thing that triggers you. Yeah. Trigger the right word. Yeah. Okay. Great. Good. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to introduce it in a safe first space so you can recognize it and learn how to control it. Right. Yeah. And I would say it is like retraining the brain. So Mm -hmm. we we really with some of these interventions are changing the pathways in the nervous system, those connections to be more effective and more efficient, which is going to help us right in that long run of of just being in better control of our emotions. So maybe we're not having to constantly work on emotional regulation, but maybe it's more of a here or there, like is happening for you or I. Mm. And um, may uh, here's a gen- another generalization, maybe a little easier when someone's younger because those neural pathways aren't as developed. Most definitely. I did a little reading yes. before. I, I didn't just pull that. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yes, definitely. Right. We. There used to be a belief that you couldn't change the brain past a certain age, but that's not true anymore. So we we can always be making changes in our brain through our entire lifetime. It is harder and takes longer the older you are. So it will be more work and probably take a little bit longer if we're working with a teenager compared to a four-year-old because there just are more pathways that need to be reworked. And kind of going down that vein just a little bit, um, I guessing that you see people, you know, as you said, all different ages, they come in at different times. So, mm-hmm. and maybe different degrees of the condition. Yeah. Um, so, and this kind of gets back to a, a, one of my earlier questions, like when does a parent know to like, okay, I need, I need help. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think they can't just call you directly and go right into occupational therapy. There needs to be a referral. Right. So talk a little bit about that. Like how, like, you know, and with the back story kind of being like younger is better. Sure. The sooner or sooner, the better. Sure. Yeah. 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 Early intervention, right. Early intervention really is important and helpful. So yes, the earlier you're starting to notice things or just wondering about them, 
it's a great time to talk with your child's um, physician, primary care physician, pediatrician. Um, if they have a neurologist, neurology, right, could be another great place to be able to talk about this. And you do need a referral from a physician, a primary care um, provider or the other ones that I've noted in order to be able to come uh, for an evaluation. But I would say an evaluation will never hurt. Almost every insurance company will cover an evaluation. And so why not just have an evaluation to see if those services are warranted, if they're appropriate and we can talk about a plan um, and, you know, rather than waiting and wondering. Um, and you're just saying, like, if you if it enters your mind, kind of like ask your physician about it. Ask right. your child's physician, like we've been noticing this at home. What do you think? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And at North Lakes, we're happy to to field some of those questions as well. Right. If if you are wondering, is this appropriate? It's OK to call and to talk with our intake person. And if the intake person doesn't feel like they have the answer, they'll they might pull in a therapist um, and we're happy to try to, you know, help navigate that. But I think. I think my answer, if I was the person talking with them, would almost always be, why not just come in for an evaluation? Why not just get some baseline data to be able or you know, um, scores to be able to know where they're at right now? Yeah. And maybe that'll give a parent some peace of mind. Yeah. If nothing else. Right. Yes. Maybe a whole lot of help. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, so. What is there? I I didn't. Uh, are there moments like let's say I'm out, whatever, out and about and I see like a family having some trouble, kids having a tantrum and, you know, I, I don't know these people. I don't know. Is there anything like, like most? I think like the we all kind of turn away and oh, I'm not going down that aisle. Sure. <laughs> but is there I don't know. Is there anything you can do is like to, to help those folks out or I know this is out of the clinic and maybe out of your. You're saying besides just carry around our brochures and hand them up. <laughs> yeah, well, I do that. Well, <laughs> first do that. Right. Yes. No, joking. Yeah. Um, so I think I think the thing to do that is helpful is to give them some kind of the parents, some kind of indication that like you get it right or maybe you don't get it, but you empathize with them. You can see that right now is a hard, a hard moment. The thing that is hardest for for parents when their kids are having a hard time in in the community is you write looks of, um, you know, disgust or um, like, right, like they're being some judgment, yes. like, like, oh, that person doesn't can't that parents not doing a good job. You exactly. know, that's got to be terrible. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. We don't know what has happened. We don't know what the history of this child's life is. We don't know what happened that day before they came to that store. We don't know what's going on in that store. That's making it hard for them. Right. Even if they're, they're yelling over, uh, wanting a toy, it really might not be about the toy, right? And the the toy might be just the thing that they're clinging on to that, right, all of their anger is coming out about, but it really might be about something else. And I think that that's important to keep in mind. And again, just let the family know. Again, you you don't even have to say anything, right? But like, 
that that you you see that this is a hard moment for everybody and right you're you're sorry that they're having to go through it right then right right um don't yell <laughs> don't yeah. right yes and 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 don't try to intervene either because again you you don't know right what what really is going on for that that you know that patient that individual or that family yeah so what about in in your environment in the clinic um, you know, and a parent's involved with what's going on with their child. Obviously, they're there with them. Are like, uh, are there things that parents can do that might trigger a child, a patient? And have you, do you ever have to kind of work with them as well? Like, hey, you might try this. Like, and that, that's got to be hot. You know, what's that like? Is that, does it happen? Sure. And how's it go? Yeah. Yeah. It definitely happens. Um, it is, it is very common to have right. The parents or other family members be some of the, the triggers for right. Some of the emotional, you know, regulation challenges. Um, and that, that is a, a, an important reason for having the parents involved um, for, you know, being able to talk with them about the things that the, the, the therapist is noticing or to be able to help them work through, right. Some of those challenges, um, I would say triggers, common triggers would be, um, talking too much and too fast and too loudly when an individual is having emotional regulation challenges, um, quieting down and giving longer pauses for processing that information is is better but we as humans tend to go faster 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 louder louder bigger and that's actually more disruptive than stepping back and being quiet and giving long uncomfortable pauses would be more helpful um other triggers can be just getting getting in their space um, too quickly or using the wrong type of touch, using light touch and just, you know, touching the very top of their skin, which can feel threatening versus giving more of a firm pressure with your whole hand. So those kinds of things are, are common things that come up and that, yeah, we can, we can talk through and they, 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 they can be hard, right? They can be hard conversations, but they're important conversations to be having. And I'm going to guess like some parents eat it up and go, never would have thought of that. Thank you. And others are like, you don't know me. Yes. Or maybe not. I, like, I'm yeah. Gen I, yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's right. We're, we're all in our own stage of, of processing through right events in our life. And if, if a parent has been dealing with this for a long time, it, it might be harder to hear that they're right. are, are things that they're doing that are triggers or that they, that they should be changing. Oh, that's, yeah. I mean, that can't be fun to hear. Like all these things, maybe it's my fault, you know, like I'm sure that. Right. Yeah. That can't be. Oh, right. Yeah. And, um, I know you have, you work with some really great people. It must be really nice to have them, um, with you because I'm sure you talk about your patients a lot. To yeah. help each other out and like compare like, hey, and how this is happening here. And how, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Having having a team is really, really awesome, whether it is um, 
coworkers, right, that are in the same discipline or even in, you know, other disciplines. We we share a lot of patients with speech therapy. We share a lot of patients with behavioral health. And so having, again, a team approach to working on those um you know, those, the goals for that patient and that family is really, really helpful. And like I talked about, um, before that there's sometimes kind of this dance, right? There's a dance between, is this a a little bit more occupational therapy related now, or is this a little bit more behavioral health related now? And so we'll, we'll sometimes focus a little bit more on one over the other, all depending upon where the patient and the the family is at in terms of their progress. That's got to be really satisfying and rewarding as a, professionally it's to awesome. be able to collaborate with, you know, different services. It's really awesome. <sighs> yeah. As, as an individual who has been a sole practitioner in various settings to having been a OT in an OT clinic, but not having right other disciplines under the same, you know, organization. Um, it, it, this by far is, is the best, you know, this is the most optimal opportunity to be able to have all of those resources and support. Yeah. Has there been a change since COVID happened? Like, has there been anything you've noticed more, symptoms or I don't know, what's the difference between pre-COVID and wherever we are with COVID right now, if there are any? Yeah. Yeah. There, there, COVID was hard. It was very hard. Um, you know, some of the challenges at the onset of the pandemic was when we weren't able to see patients in person and everything was being done virtually. We were losing that, that, that opportunity to, to really explore a variety of tools and strategies. We were losing that ability to, to have sort of that human connection um, and support as well. And it was really hard for parents to juggle, right? School and work and all the things and to have the kids home all the time. And that really brought about a lot of emotional regulation challenges Um, Right. Kids are used to having during the school year, having the structure of of going to school and school tends to have quite a bit of structure to it as well. And so then to try to have to take that structure and put it into your home environment was very disruptive. And right. Most of these parents weren't teachers prior to, but then they had to become teachers. And that right having your parent be your parent one moment in your house and now your parent being your teacher is really confusing and right. Very disruptive. Mm. And is it mellowing out a little? Is it kind of evened out a bit or where, where are we at? What's the sense? Yeah. I think we're on the downward trend of it mellowing out. Um, But we're, we're still, we're still dealing with quite a bit of of challenges from from the pandemic because right up until I think even last year, I right, I've lost track of everything that happened over those years. But I think even last year, there were still 
like the kids never knew if they were going to be in school or not in school, if they were right going to be closing because of a big outbreak, like those kinds of unknowns just increase that, that, you know, kind of stress level and bring you closer to being out of that just right zone. Right. Or if you had it or had been exposed, so you had to go, you know, so there's, you know, you're isolated now, but not everyone else is. And exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. Huh. Um, what else, Angie? Um, Anything one, else that you want? Yeah. One one thought that I had that I, I wanted to mention earlier, but didn't um, didn't end up mentioning it was in talking about you know, when, when should parents bring their, when should they consider occupational Mm -hmm. therapy or services? Um, I, I think it's important to note that, you know, as it, it is, it is not uncommon for patients to have come and made great progress, been discharged from our services, but then potentially come back again sometime down the road because we, we are, always changing, right? Especially in, um, in, in childhood, there's a lot of changes with the brain. There's a lot of, um, hormonal changes. And so some of those things can really bring about, um, you know, I don't know, I guess I'll use the term regression with their emotional regulation. And so, um, that's normal. And so, returning for support and services is really okay. And it isn't a failure on anybody's part. It's just a natural part of development. Um, and the thing that I'll often tell parents is like, we, we already know that, right. We can make that progress. And so we'll just make that progress again and Mm -hmm. you'll be on your way. And then, probably has to feel good like you have that relationship so you know it's just hey how you been haven't seen you in a couple years good to have you back yeah (laughs) yeah it's you know i i always tell tell the patient if they're you know old enough in the family like oh i'm so glad to see you oh wait maybe 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 i shouldn't say that but i am really glad to see you again (laughs) we spend so much time with (laughs) with the the patients and the families through the process um and so it is it's it's fun to see them return um Um, and you know, of course, always right on the, on the terms that they're returning is always a little hard because we know they're having challenges, but again, we get to, we get to just help them through that next stage. How exciting you get to help them. Yeah. And you kind of got like the baseline data to like do it. Right. Uh Yeah. I bet they're excited to see you too. Yeah. (laughs) But so what if, um, what if this goes unchecked? Like, I mean, I can only guess of like, if you, this just continues on later in life, you never learn to regulate your emotions. I mean, who like anything could happen, but like, what, what's your two cents on that? Yeah. So if it goes unchecked, I would say that you, you're, you're vulnerable for spending a lot of time in the edges of that that range outside of just right so you're spending a lot of time in shutdown which i would say is depression or looking like depression right self-isolation those kinds of things or you're on the other 
end of the spectrum and you're spending a lot of time in anger, rage, um, right. Blaming others for right. All that's happening, um, really struggling. Hmm. And for, for our pediatric population, the thing that I, I think about is I, I do worry about individuals heading towards that depression state. I also worry about individuals heading towards and getting stuck in, um, the like worlds of oppositional defiant disorder or like a school category would be emotional behavioral. Um, I can't remember what the term is. Disorder is what they used to call it. Um, I think they call it something different now. Right. But like looking like a behavior problem where really the, the foundation of it started probably in those sensory systems and that um, difficulty with interoceptive awareness and challenges with emotional regulation. Um, and, and if you're, if you're towards that emotional behavioral area or that oppositional defiant, then it in adulthood, it right can lead to breaking the law and, you know, just some of those, those behavior patterns that are, are like society doesn't accept finding ways like to, to, to find that safe zone. Right. So that, that space that you feel comfortable, which as you said, society doesn't uh, allow. Yes, exactly. Uh Mm -hmm. Um, So how did like, uh, how do you, is this a hard job? I I know you love your job, but I, you know, like, and it seems like there's gotta be a lot of very rewarding things about it, but um what are the, I don't know, what are the good and bads? What's a, how do you, how do you get through, or not how you get through it, but like, what's it like to like, you must have good days and bad days and yes. what do you do? Yes. Yes. We have good, ba- good days and bad days. We have good sessions and bad sessions, just like, right. Like, like the families that are coming to see us, right. There's good days and bad days. Um, so yeah, even even though we want to see the tantrums and the meltdowns, right, if if they are big ones and they're lasting the whole session, that that is hard. Um, and and doing that and then right heading into another session with another patient is is um yeah, it's, it's you, you, right. We have to have our own emotional regulation strategies. Uh huh. I see yeah. what you did there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and we do, right. We go back to our office, we take some deep breaths. We, you know, maybe put a sour candy in our mouth. We grab some gum, we take a drink of water, we step outside for a moment, right. We all have, have different things that help us sort of ground and regroup. So that way we don't carry that right into the next session. Um, so yeah, there, there are hard moments and, and for a lot of, um, individuals that emotional with the, the really big explosive emotional, um, regulation challenges, like it, it does become like they, they, right. They do blame others a lot. And so there is a lot of blame that gets put on um, the provider or the parent, right? Whatever adults in the room. And, and so again, having strategies to know that like that, that isn't really what this is about, right? It isn't really about me, even though all the words coming out right now indicate that, but that's, that's really not what's happening. Um, 
and what, what really carries us through those moments is knowing that it's going to get better and knowing that progress will get made and, and thinking about right past situations where we've been, you know, in those hard moments and knowing right sessions later, it looks very different. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. that's just really great. Could it happen where it did instead of at the gas station? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. In a safe place where where it is OK that they right are are having a hard time where we have tools that we can, you know, kind of toss to them and they can trial and if they're in a place where they can. Well, yes. And and talk a little bit about that environment. I don't think we've mentioned like you have like the coolest workspace out of anybody I know (laughs) anywhere. And describe a little bit about your, um, um, where you do your treatment, what your treatment room, what would you yeah. call it? Yep. Tell, tell us to explain them. Yeah. We call them treatment rooms. We, I, I think about them in terms of their, um, a small size, they're a medium size, they're a large size. So depending upon the individual's needs and how overwhelmed they could get in a large space, we, we choose the kind of room size that's going to match them. And they uh, almost all of them have what we call suspension points. So they're points in the ceiling that we hook ropes to and we can hang swings from. And we have a whole variety of different kinds of swings that we can hook up. We have all kinds of climbing structures. We have um, lofts that you can get up onto and take a slide to come back down. It looks like a big playground is what it looks like. Crash pads, crash balls. Yes. Yes. Little balls like. Yeah. Scooter boards, a scooter board ramp. You, you name it. We probably have it. (laughs) And it's all very colorful too. Yes. Yeah. And, and we, if, if a lot of stuff going on in the room is, is like a trigger for a patient and we know that ahead of time, then we will dampen down that environment. We will take stuff out of there. We will declutter the room. Um, and so we right again, individualize the room and the environment to what the patient is needing. All the rooms have uh, dimmers on their lights. So again, if, right? Bright lights or the indoor lighting is hard. We can modify that. Um, all kinds of, of options. And why, why is that helpful? Why are these suspension points and the swings and the bridges and the ropes? Like what, how do you use them to help with the things that you do? So sometimes it's being used by used to, to really target and work on the challenges that their sensory systems are having, right? That tactile, that touch sensory system or our movement sensory system, which is called the vestibular system. So maybe we're using some of that equipment to really target that um, kind of challenge. Sometimes we're using it to actually just put out a challenge in the environment for that individual to problem solve and work through where they're going to have to use emotional regulation to get through it, right? They're going to have to stay at that just right zone to be able to get from this swing to this swing or to figure out how to get, get over the gap between the two structures, the two lofts. So we use it in a few different ways. And and, um, are there times you're like, 
nailed it. You know, I've, I've picked I picked the like vast variety of items that I could choose from. I got it the first time. Yes. 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 And we we always make sure to go tell another therapist. <laughs> first time. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. I'm the best therapist ever. Oh, but I and I like depends. Like, but I bet there's others that took like the sixth or seventh configuration maybe to find what you needed. Yes, definitely. Uh-huh. And sometimes we're we're reconfiguring right in the moment. Right. We if it's if it's not working, we don't stick with it. We we will change it. Um, and something that I will model and I'll say to parents and to kids a lot is it's OK. We all make mistakes. And so if I set up a plan and it is not working for that individual and that and I can tell that that is causing unnecessary frustration, unnecessary right emotional regulation that I don't want to have happen. I'm not going to just keep sticking with it because I'm the adult and I made the plan. Right. I'm going to say, whoa. I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. Let's fix that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that I I didn't realize how big my modeling of that has been for some parents, but some parents have shared that with me that that has been like life changing for them. Um, and I just thought that that I was so glad to get that feedback because I just I just did it without understanding the the impact. Mm-hmm. And I I was. Uh, lucky enough with parental consent and the patient's consent to be in a couple of sessions. I was there to take some photos and kind of, you know, so I was able to watch one of your other therapists and it was always fascinating. They were always like, would you like to do this or this? There was always like two options, like you were giving choices and that there was, you know, like it, it like the way that I forget who it was, but they were able to kind of empower the patient, Mm -hmm. you know, like they had some control of the situation. I don't know. I just, I really admired that. Yeah. Well, control is one of the ways that we, we regulate our emotions, right? And sometimes it's inappropriate. Sometimes we're putting out too much control and we're trying to control everything in our environment. And so if we know that an individual needs that amount of control, again, to feel safe, to be in a place where they in that just right zone, so that way they can participate, then then we're going to give them right the, whatever amount of control that is appropriate. But we have to make sure that we're not giving inappropriate choices, right? We don't want to give a choice of do you like write either you listen and follow the directions now and you can stay in therapy or you were leaving therapy like, well, no, actually, we want to stay in therapy. So let's not give the choice and right. the option to oh, leave. No, no, exactly. It was like yeah. there was like they were kind of the same choice, but they got to choose. <laughs> right. Yeah. Should I start with your right arm or your left arm? Y- yes, yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Do you want to put on your boots first or your jacket first? Yeah. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you put on your boots first. Yeah. I, I don't know. It was yeah. like I, I learned a lot. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I do have one last question for you. Yeah. And maybe it's changed since the last time I asked. But uh, what's in your car right now? Not a whole lot, only because I recently got a new vehicle and and I haven't had time to fill my car up with all kinds of stuff. Um, But I do have I have snowshoes in there. 
ready, ready to go snowshoeing this weekend. Good, good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, there's plenty of that. Yes. Yeah. Angie Shepik, thanks so much for doing this. I uh, really um, enjoy speaking with you. And uh, thanks again. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. Okay. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. That was my conversation with Angie Shepik, occupational therapist at our clinic in Ashland. I'm lucky enough to be able to have these conversations with North Lakes providers, and you can as well. Go to our website, nlccwi.org, to find a provider that you feel you can connect with and schedule an appointment for your own one-on-one -on -one conversation. Trust me, all of our providers are as interesting as Angie. North Lakes Community Clinic is a community health center with locations throughout the northern half of Wisconsin. We provide care regardless of insurance status or ability to pay. Our mission is to respond to the healthcare needs of our communities with an integrated array of quality services and actively remove barriers to wellness. My name is Jeremy Oswald and I am a marketing and communications specialist here at North Lakes. And it's my pleasure to host the North Lakes podcast. Please give us a review on whichever platform you are enjoying us on. It helps other people discover the show. Thank you in advance and thanks for listening.